0: Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Melvin, and I hope I'm not wasting my time... Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Thomas O'Fretzen's Let the Right One In. One of the neat features of the website Letterboxd is that you can compile a list of movies, title it, add a description, and share it with your friends. Often, these lists are used to rank the films when it's seen that year. For instance, I have a list that ranks every movie from this year as well as one from last year and the previous one. Of all the lists I've seen on Letterboxd, though, my favorite has to be one titled 2008 The Worst Year of Cinema. Created by a user named Reeze, the title is self-explanatory, and I can't help but agree, as it includes titles such as The Love Guru, Don't Mess with the Zohan, or even that dreaded The Day the Earth Stood Still remake featuring Keanu Reeves. 2008 really was a mess, and it even ended with the writer's strike, but some good movies came out of that year. M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening is a secret gem of hilarity. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight wowed theater goers the whole world over, and one vampire film dominated the festival scene. No, I'm not talking about Twilight. I'm talking about the Swedish film, Let the Right One In. Set within a cold, isolated vision of Blackburg, Stockholm, Oscar, a bullied 12-year-old boy who travels between his divorced parents, watches his new tenants move into the adjacent apartment, an older man and a young girl about his age. He then returns from the window, play-stabbing the air as he taunts, squeal like a pig. So squeal, a common ritual. One evening, at a nearby playground, Oscar meets the young girl. She says her name is Ellie, and they can't be friends. Oscar thinks she smells funny. Let the Right One In is rated R for some bloody violence, including disturbing images, brief nudity, and language. The bloody violence only makes sense regarding the theme, but for the most part, the film isn't all that visceral with its violence. In fact, critically speaking, one of the things people have loved so much is the audio of the film as far as the violence is concerned, how everything sounds just right. So what you mostly get is the grotesque sounds of vampires drinking someone's blood, although I think it's more accurate to describe it as gulping. Apart from that, there are some injuries that contain a fair number of bloody visuals, and the blood lingers for quite some time. The disturbing imagery includes some of the aforementioned bloody injuries, but also some other injuries as well, along with shockingly well-paced scenes that add to the all-around disturbing atmosphere of the film. The brief female nudity is incredibly brief, but it's important to mention that it's the character's lower half. That said, the shot was made with a mannequin to look like the character, so nobody in real life was ever naked to begin with. And the language depends on what translation you're listening to, as the film is in Swedish. Apart from that, there is language, but it's rather sparse. Also, the rating for this film doesn't include suggestive content, but there are segments of the story, one in particular, that may feel uncomfortable regarding two characters in bed with one another. Nothing sensual is happening, but it's still a scene that I think most people would initially find surprising in the moment. Anyways, I often host movie parties. I pick a Saturday, I pick a theme, then send out invites for a three movie long afternoon where we binge a row of films. We'll eat pizza, discuss the films we just watched, and even play some Jackbox party games on the television to cool off. It's a lot of fun, and the last party we held was vampire-themed. We watched The Last Vampire on Earth, What We Do in the Shadows, and then Let the Right One In as our last film. None of us had seen that one before, and it was interesting to head into it immediately after the prior films, which were largely comedies. Although Last Vampire is unintentionally funny. But to end the night on a sober film like Let the Right One In was strange. It was almost an ethereal experience. Living in a post-Twilight world, it's hard to take vampires seriously. In fact, some of the best media with vampires now are largely comedic, and there's a fatigue from them that could only be compared to zombie fatigue, and even that doesn't sound entirely accurate. I'd hate to say that Twilight dealt an irreparable blow to the concept of vampires, but there's definitely an air about them that's been soured. And maybe that's to Let the Right One In's benefit. The film released about a month prior to Twilight, narrowly beating out the impending stake that would devastate the heart of vampires forever. But does that really matter? Not really, I just find it interesting. Let the Right One In is a completely different film anyway. It's less a vampire movie and more of a complex, challenging, empathetic coming-of-age story whether you're 12 or 200. It looks at the sort of things that plague a child's life, patiently painting across painful moments that shape children, whether for better or for worse. And in some ways, it puts to the forefront the responsibility that children have for their own actions, making clear that, despite their ignorance, they are always at risk of making choices that have big consequences. What I mean to say is, Let the Right One In is the kind of movie that demands the audience respect children. It demands you to see Oscar, really see him, and feel for him as a child who is born into a world that seems to throw everything at him, and he's accepted it as it is, although not really. He's angry, he's lonely, he's scared, he's timid, he's shy, he's being bullied relentlessly for no reason at all other than he's Oscar. And maybe that's what Oscar thinks about all of the miserable things in his life, that they simply happen because it's him. Oh well, you're Oscar. Bad things happen to you because it's you, buddy. Sorry. There are moments where, even with his parents, Oscar feels secluded, if not by their own willing actions, then by the age difference. There are things Oscar can't do because he's too young, and there's an incredible irony in these moments because we've witnessed the life Oscar's been living. We've seen the things he's suffered through, the oppression he faces at school, the loneliness that plagues his every evening. Can't someone just give the kid a beer already? Take the edge off? Someone help the poor boy. Oh no, Melvin, you can't be serious, right? Don't you know how dangerous that is? Sure, yeah, of course, it's important to understand not only age differences, but also developmental differences between a child and an adult. Different periods of life open different doors. Different doors provide different ways to wrestle with life's misgivings. But what happens when you let something in? What happens when you're so desperate for change? Despite all of these locked doors, you're no longer looking for a way out, but someone to come in. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and anyone who's been in a panic, felt trapped, alone, they know how easy it is to jump at the mere presence of something calm, something powerful, something safe. Something that doesn't seem threatening. Something that treats you like an equal. What better story to put that at the forefront than a vampire film? They can't come in unless you let them, right? And what about Ellie? Who's Ellie anyway? Well, Thomas has said he feels Ellie is very much the opposite of Oscar. Ellie is what Oscar wants to be, Ellie is strong, Ellie is confident, Ellie can handle herself, and it doesn't matter what's in her way, like Oscar, she's seen it all, but unlike Oscar, she copes with it in a way that he wishes he could. He wishes he could be successfully angry, be free to let loose the pent-up rage that grows within him, the pent-up rage that he carries with him everywhere he goes, but is too tired from lugging it around to do anything about it. He wishes that he could kill it all, those that bully him, those that oppress him, the very weight on his back, but she can, or maybe. I suppose it depends on how close they become, how much Oscar lets Ellie in. All this sounds rather dour and depressing and I don't want to fool you, it is, but also it's not. As I said, it's empathetic, the entire film is, and even the way it's shot has a sense of empathy. From wide angles, still images, large headspace, there's a real presence of how lonely the entire place feels. How much space there is for a cold breeze to rush by you as you're tightening your coat or fastening your beanie. It never exploits this sense of isolation, simply translates it so you can recognize how much joy would be felt if someone stood right next to these characters and loved them the way they so desperately need. It's why moments between Oscar and Ellie feel so intimate, so comfortable, as their scenes are littered with close-ups, crowded shots of the two sitting on a jungle gym as they figure out how to complete a Rubik's Cube, or the way they communicate with each other from their rooms with Morse code. There's also a masterful patience to the film. Tomás isn't rushing to the end, and neither should you. Besides, relationships take time, people take time, difficulties take time, and sometimes time seems like all you have. It really encourages the consistent tone of underlying anger, isolated people, and cold environments that seem to propagate damaged people who would let anything in to make things better, but are too paranoid, lazy, or hopeless to do anything about it. All this to say, it really gets me thinking about who I let in when I'm feeling hopeless. Who do I let in when I feel like an unjust target? What does my heart yearn for when I'm feeling lonely? What doors lie ahead of me? Which doors are locked? Which doors do I leave open with an invitation? What am I feeling hopeless about? Am I afraid of my future? Do I feel I will grow to be a better husband than I am now? What kind of father will I be? Am I a good friend? Have I shown care to those in my life? Do I care about those in my life? Can or will any of these fears improve? Where do I want to go and what do I think is in my way? Are there people who are actively against me or do they simply not care? Have I locked any of these doors or has someone done it for me? Which ones do I think are locked, but the Lord has clearly left available for me? What doors have I left open in the hopes of someone coming in? Are those doors open for evil? Am I waiting for an opportunity to be freed, or am I waiting for an opportunity to enjoy the company of fools? Who we let into our lives will make and shape us. Who we love, we grow to become. Who loves us becomes like us. There's an incredible arrogance to that, to think we can become like those we love or even believe we can become lovable, especially when we spend evenings in our bedroom stabbing the air going, squeal like a pig, so squeal! And if we're doing that and someone were to love us, would they not become unlovable too? What a danger to let someone into our homes, into our lives, into our hearts, to grow and become like one another, feeding off the same pain, suffering, and hatred. Like a fungal sprout interconnected from one corpse to another, who's willing to come into our network and suck the life from these infected hearts? What a joy to know that Christ's love is not only perfect, but incapable of sin. As we repent from our sins and let Him in, Christ transforms us to be like Him, sinless and blameless, righteous and patient, filling our hearts with such immeasurable love that we can't help but spill over, filling the hearts of those around us. Our hopes are renewed, our joys are made perfect, and while we may still face persecution, loneliness, and the cold, bitter environment of our age, we are not without love. And we are not without justice as soon as the day will come when Christ returns to finish his perfect work of saving his people, while also judging the evils that cause us grief, suffering, pain, that beckon us into a world of isolation rather than the open arms of our Savior. No longer are we left stabbing the air in late, lonely, cold evenings. We don't need to. We're not only loved, but the justice we beg for will be paid for in its right time. So let's take that love of Christ and knock on some doors someone's bound to let us in. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Let the Right One In, what did you think of it? Were you impressed by the fantastic performances, or did you think that scene with the cats was one of the dumbest things ever? If you're listening on cinematicdoctrine.com, let me know in a comment below, or send me an email, which will be linked in the show notes. And if you're on Letterboxd, I have a list compiling every movie reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so feel free to check that out. By the way, did you know I have two guest appearances on other podcasts coming out? One of them is on War Machine vs. Warhorse, a movie podcast where we discuss three movies we talked about Under the Silver Lake, The Nice Guys, and The Black Dahlia and dissected similar themes among them, primarily the gross misuse of women in each film. It should be out very soon, but be sure to check their podcast in the meantime. The other is The Reformed Gamers, the show about theology, video games, and anything else. In our episode, we talked about the first three Resident Evil films. It was interesting. Be sure to check that podcast out before the episode is up as well. And before I lose you, check out Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page to keep up to date with fun movie news as well as my own shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review on your respective podcast app. Again, all of this will be available in the show notes. Next time, I'll be reviewing Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Doctrine. link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk, so get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.